0: Welcome, everybody. We're here Friday night in the GOAT District, special GOAT District. Uh, we got my boy Austin R. Martin on, on the show. This is this show's been a long time coming this season. We've had pretty much everyone in high stakes except for Austin on this year. So finally, Austin's, Austin's in the district. How are you doing tonight, man?
1: Doing real good, Theo. Thanks for having me. Been looking forward to this.
0: Awesome. Us too, man. Uh, we're we're, we're uh, really, really excited. We got the Dynasty trade trade deadline coming up. We have a lot of home leagues with trade deadlines this weekend. Uh, Let's rock. So welcome everybody. Uh, this is a, a big time for dynasty players. We have trade deadlines pretty much everywhere right around the corner. Uh, you know enough about your team through ten weeks to kind of determine whether you're going for it or not. Uh, and if you have questions on that, Austin's gonna gonna kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, we're also very much in the in the mix and redraft. If you're an FFPC player, the play, playoffs are right around the corner. Uh, Austin, you're you're managing a, a, a ton of teams right now. You do. A lot of redraft, you do a lot of dynasty. How did how did you you? And to give a little context to Austin, Austin's probably the the I would say the most well known high stakes dynasty player around right now, and he's earned that reputation by not only winning big leagues but also managing a big portfolio of them. Also, while playing um, in a, a good amount of redraft leagues, high stakes. So, Austin, why don't you kind of tell everybody kind of your your path of how you became this big-time dynasty player? Um, When did it start for you getting
1: into the dynasty streets? Yeah, so, you know, just kind of going back to early days playing fantasy football, doing home leagues with buddies. You know, we would do – we started with redraft and then kind of evolved to doing keeper leagues, you know, just keeping – two, three players, uh, uh, each year and having round value associated with that. And, um, it just kind of evolved from there to starting, uh, I started a home, uh, 14 team home league that I, that I commissioned and that was kind of where I, where I entered dynasty and that was seven, eight years ago. And, um, you know, by that point I had already been playing some of the high stakes, uh, FFPC, NFFC, FFWC uh, contests, and had done well, um, had some decent-sized caches, and, you know, things, I guess, really took off a few years ago when we hit the big uh, playoff contest.
0: Why don't you share with everybody what that is? Um, I know a number of you guys are aware of this contest, uh, the FFPC playoff contest, but Austin, you shipped this one, um, which was a, a big feather in your cap. A six-figure payout uh, maybe you could kind of share a little bit of 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 that
1: kind of that ride yeah so so me and my partner Seth um, we split some teams and we did we did 10 teams in the FFPC playoff contest it's a $200 entry 500k up top and uh, you know we we found that magic combination of players that year and shipped it so that that kind of really opened things up for me, you know, got a nice size bankroll and was able to scale up and, and just uh, play at higher stakes comfortably with, you know, out having to worry about losing playing tight and, and just being able to um, take risks and, and, you know, play the way I would normally play at levels that I hadn't before. So that's kind of, kind of how I was able to scale up in volume. And, you know, the results were, were good leading up to that and, and have continued. So it's been good. Um, and, and it's nice to be able to play at higher volumes, uh, comfortably. It's
0: nice to, to play higher volume except on, on Wednesdays,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Wednesdays and Sundays are a little tough. does kind of become a, a full-time job. Um, and that's really, you know, the, the year-round aspect is really what drew me in. Um, going from keeper to dynasty leagues, you know, always having that year-round action. There's always there's always an opportunity to draw up a trade and improve your team. And you're, you're doing one thing or, or the other, whether it's player evaluation, getting ready for the draft, um, getting ready for rookie drafts and then transitioning to, to redraft mode. And, and it's just kind of one continuous cycle. So it's, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because I really think it is a cycle.
0: And I think you'll find a lot of the, usually people are kind of well-known for, for one particular format or another, you know, you've got your hardcore dynasty guys. We've Scott Connor coming on the show this week. You know, you think of guys like Curtis Patrick, and then you, have your redraft guys, you know, guys who come on the show, um, like the other night we had Chris Vaccaro and and a B bag, Batoba, but you're starting to see a lot of guys kind of dip their feet into both formats. Uh, and I'll throw best ball into that as well. Um, best ball dynasty redraft. I think when you play all three, it kind of sharpens you up. Um, it, it makes you better in every single format. Would you kind of agree with that?
1: I think it definitely does sharpen you up. I, I, I think it's really hard though. Um, I mean, I think it's really hard to cross over from not just dynasty to redraft, but going from one platform to the other, you know, you really have to understand the nuances of the format, uh, the, the positional requirements and all of that. Cause you can really get messed up kind of, you know, even just going, You, it seems simple, you know, going from two running backs and, two wide receivers, two flex to going over to, you know, the other sites where you have two running backs, three receivers, a couple flex. I mean, it's a totally different ball game, but I definitely agree that having exposure uh, sharpens you up. Um, you know, doing those early best ball drafts gets me ready for redraft season. And, and, you know, it definitely helps to have that year round exposure um, having the dynasty aspect certainly helps for redraft too. Um rookies are coming right in and playing now and and being real difference makers so uh, I think being a little bit ahead of the curve on that helps for sure
0: yeah and I, I would say Austin you're you're very bold in your rookie takes I think that you're not afraid to go all in on a guy um, and I think you're also you know you'll see some high-volume people who who just want exposure to everybody which I think is fine For some people, that's the right approach. But this year, for instance, a lot of people were running away from those end of the first round picks, and you were diving in on a guy like George Pickens. Um, You know, Pickens, when he started flashing, you know, in the Goat District, gave you all kinds of props because you deserved it. When you identify a player like that, what are certain things you're looking for? Is it a talent profile? Is a young, like, you know, a lot of people talk about breakout age. A lot of people talk about pedigree. Like, what is it for you that, that draws you to a certain prospect?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's all the things you just said. You know, specifically for Pickens, it was, you know, he, he showed it all. And if it weren't for injuries, he would have been locked in as a early, mid-first-round pick. Um, so I think, I think his profile just stacked up favorably. And what it really came down to this year in rookie drafts is, you know, everyone was telling you to sell those late, late first round picks. You really couldn't trade them for much. Um, so it was like, okay, l- there's going to be some hits here. We got to find them. And, and so the guys that I really planted my flag on were George Pickens and Rashad White. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, and there are a couple others that are, that are, uh, coming into their own now. And, uh, this class is looking a lot better than it, than it did, uh, even a few months ago.
0: No doubt about that. I mean, we saw Christian Watson and Traylon Burks last night, both looking great. And you've had other guys in this class that maybe, I, I know I know. I personally wish I had a little more Greg Dulcich. Um, Damian Pierce has flashed. A lot of those second rounders have flashed. Jahan Dotson at the beginning of the season. Um, and I don't think the story is closed on Jahan Dotson at all for this season, but he really flashed beginning of the year. Um, would you agree that that 2023 class... Was maybe a little underrated because of the quality of the the two
1: classes, um, the year before, and and I guess this twenty twenty three class. Yeah, the the 20, 2022 class. Yeah, I think I think it was undersold a little bit. I mean, and I wasn't in total disagreement, but I really felt like there were a couple of guys that that I wanted. And Pickens was at the top of that list. I mean, I was I was licking my chops uh, at the end of the first round ready to scoop him up. So um, it was a good spot to be. And, you know, I I really I should have a little bit more. I was aggressively trying to move up. I felt like the 106 was really like the cutoff of where you really wanted to be, where you could get either Garrett Wilson or Jameson. And that was kind of the sweet spot. But uh, there's there's definitely some hits there at the end of the first two. No,
0: no doubt about that. So right now, um, anybody kind of unfamiliar with the FFPC, and that's the that's where you are you playing all of your dynasty aside from maybe a home league or so, all of your stakes dynasty leagues are in there. Besides we're we are also in an FFWC um league with Billy Muzio, Dave Hubbard. Um it's it's a loaded league. Um, but I, I imagine almost all of your leagues besides that are FFPC. Yeah, we've
1: just got that FF that one K FFWC that I share with my cousin Andy, and then Seth and I do all of our Dynasty mm-hmm. at FPC, and then we've got two home leagues that that we run um, with some buddies. Uh, but yeah, so we we kind of try and keep it tight. It's uh, again going back and forth through various platforms. Not only just um understanding the nuances of the positional requirements, but just the crossing over, doing fab, setting lineups, like it's just it's it gets to be way too much if you have four, five, six sites that you're trying to play on. It's you're, brutal.
0: It's absolutely brutal. I completely agree with you.
1: Um you're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes no matter what. You just can't get to it all, especially when there's late news. So try to try to keep it in in one place as much as possible without without letting those guys run a total monopoly on my portfolio
0: yeah that's that's a that's a problem i mean this year i i absolutely bit off more than i can chew volume wise i feel like i am never quite getting caught up and uh you know i keep telling uh you know andrew and a couple other people in the goat district i'm cutting back next year i'm cutting back next year but then you know comes the draft season and and you know it's hard to say no in in july and it's hard to say no to dynasty startups but we have the playoffs right around the corner in, in some of our redraft leagues. But in, in Dynasty, uh, it's a little bit longer for FFPC. FFPC uses victory points. So you have your, your your total points. You have your wins and loss. But in terms of getting to the playoffs, it's it's victory points. How do you determine at this time of year your contenders versus your pretenders? Teams you want to push the chips in. And teams, maybe you want to scale back and either just kind of stay set or have a rebuild or
1: maybe a soft rebuild. How, how do you determine that? Yeah, I think victory victory points is nice because it, it does reward consistency. But I think there's some flaws with it as well. Um, I look at total points. Total points is always kind of the the measuring stick that I look at to gauge a team. It was funny. I was looking at a team yesterday that, was seven points off the lead and, and 12 victory points back, (laughs) you know, just, it just doesn't make sense. And it's just the way the matchups play out. So I look at roster composition and points scored to get a feel for if I'm a legit contender, but the fact remains, you have to have the victory points to get in. So if you're not in striking distance, really doesn't matter. You know, so that's kind of how I look at it. I just try and evaluate the teams and not get too lost in uh, in where the victory points are. But you got to have them. So,
0: yeah. And I think just to put a little further context, you've had so many injuries this year that, you know, maybe if you're sitting right around that sixth slot, but maybe you have a Jamar Chase coming back, something along those lines, you might treat your team differently. So it's a it's a little bit nuanced. What are some huge mistakes that you see dynasty players making this time, uh, making at this time of year? You know when we're we're getting towards the, the the playoff time and the trade deadlines.
1: You know it might be a little bit of recency bias, and it it's um, it's mistakes that I've made myself, and I've I've gone on other shows in the past and I've talked about this, and it's pushing the chips in too early. And I've done it in some big spots too, and it's it, it's coming back to uh, to haunt me a little bit, you know. A couple, of, and it all comes down to the deal, you know. If 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 the value is there, and it's early enough, you know, giving up those picks or giving up, you know, valuable assets for a player early on is is fine. But um, I really like to make those big moves as close to the deadline as possible. You know, you have a guy like Dallas Goddard that you go out and make a big trade for or Devontae Adams. I I had instances in two leagues where I felt like the value was very good on both of those trades. So I'm not upset about it. But, um, you know, had, had I held on a little bit longer, I'd sure like to reallocate those resources right now.
0: Yeah, it's Scott Connor. I had it. Who's coming on the Goat District next week. And I know that's a guy that you're friends with and you really respect in the in the dynasty field and also the redraft, Scott had made a great point of waiting as long as possible, because sometimes you get a lot more out of those rebuilding teams, Um, you know, potentially trading a 2023 one, you can get uh, a more elite asset towards the end of the season. I had a team where it was after the first week, the Gabe Davis owner was trying to sell, and I thought about floating that 2023-1, and he, he talked me a little bit back off that one. So a hat tip to Scott, if you listen to this one, thank you. I'm glad I didn't trade my 2023-1 for Gabe. Um, but it's definitely a, a difficult one to determine you know, whether or not you are a true contender. Um, and you do not want to make a big mistake of trading off all your young assets just to make this championship run. And then you end up finishing third or fourth, and, and you're, you're kind of... You're not yeah. money, and you're kind of in a, in a purgatory land, and then you're looking at a, a bad season next year. Uh, shout out to the chat, which is pretty lit. Uh, Snooze, let's go, Austin. He's the boss who's been helping me out um, with my team by a DM. That's, uh, yeah, Austin's the guy you want to go to if you uh, if you have a, a dynasty question. Uh, very generous guy with his time in that regard. Shout out to Ruckus. Let's get this bread. 1912 has a question. I think we kind of got to it. Um, he has a dynasty team. He's rebuilding. He already did a great job of acquiring future draft picks. What are some strategies you guys use as the season comes to an end? I would say if you've already acquired these draft picks, nineteen twelve, um, I would kind of chill out a little bit because once you have those picks, you can kind of wait till this for this rookie draft to come, and you might be able to bounce around and really get the guys you want in the rookie draft. Austin, how would you handle having a, a
1: ton of rookie picks? Um, try and consolidate them as much as you can to move up. I mean, that's really – that's really what you want to do. You um, know, are, are we talking like strictly in a rebuild sense, or
0: he's he's saying in a, in a rebuild? Um, but I think that you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, rebuild could mean a lot of different things, um, and I I know that it can be somewhat of a detriment in the in the FFPC once
1: in a while to have too many picks because yeah. you're kind of playing against yourself almost. Yeah, you end up you end up giving up value and having to unload picks for, you know, less than, than real market value because there's not enough buyers um, for these picks a, a lot of times. So, you know, when you, you have more picks than, than you can roster uh, on FFPC, I think there's, I think you end up with two extra players on every team. So it gets to be tough. Um, you try and not, you know, I, I try and if I'm if I have extra picks, I'm usually trying to use those those late round picks just as sweeteners to get a deal done. Maybe I'll I'll load them up uh, in a deal and uh, to someone that doesn't have picks and maybe get a, a coin flip deal uh, approved that otherwise might not be. But, yeah, it it gets to be uh, a little bit much. You see guys holding 30 picks and it's like, what what are you going to do with them? Yep, it it's bad. So. Yeah, it's tricky. Um, in terms of you know contenders, I mean, we'll and we'll see these trades later. But you know, I've been able to really improve some teams by unloading second round picks, two second round picks for some real difference makers, in my opinion. And you know, that's why we accumulate those picks in the off season uh, to use them when it counts. Second round
0: picks are are kind of funny, and I think that if you talk to high level. Dynasty players like yourself, certain people value them more than others. Um, I know Dan Williamson, um, you know, he he likes accumulating a lot of seconds. I personally like having a lot of seconds because, like yourself, I think it gives you more flexibility. Um, But do you generally find yourself valuing them as a trade asset or have you had hit rates with your second round picks?
1: had decent hit rates um with second round picks i know you know a couple years ago like the two three turn you had the antonio gibsons and play that um last year you know even a guy like Kadarius tony was was living in the second um so there's definitely some hits and this year the second turned out way better than than you would have expected but there was a ton of landmines at the end of at the two three turn and into the third i mean beyond beyond the mid second this year there's just not that many hits um it was it was pretty rough even though the class overall i think the the top 15 to 20 picks ended up being quite a bit better than expected beyond that the depth really just wasn't there
0: yeah it was it's yeah. a, it's definitely a, a little bit weird it's it's a little more top heavy and i think a lot of the narrative was that it's just such a deep class. It just hasn't been. Yeah. Um, you just never really know. I think these narratives have a way of one very smart person says it, and then everybody kind of follows that same path, and it just wasn't the case. Um, shout out to uh, Joe Carlton in the chat. Ruckus wants to know what you're drinking, Austin. Oh, it's a little Blue Moon. Okay. All right. Thought you had some West Coast, like, rare IPA. It's it's a Blue Moon. <laughs> it's a Blue Moon. And want to keep getting into it. You're an aggressive trader. You make moves. I've traded with you in our leagues um, without diving into specific moves. Cause we'll deal with those in a little bit. How do you go about identifying trade partners and do you contact people first or do you just send a trade offer?
1: Yeah, I think the first thing, if you can, it's important to figure out who's coming and who's going. Um, you, you, It's a lot easier to come to a deal when you're a contender dealing with a a rebuilding team or vice versa um when you're a contender trying to trade with a contender it's just you're both trying to do the same thing so it, it just seems to be tougher in my opinion um then you're trying to do like a challenge trade you know where where you know i know better type thing um Otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, as far as sending out offers. Um, if you know, in a lot of these leagues, like in the 750, 1250s, and up, it's a lot of the same people. There's a lot of familiar faces, so you know, I've got ongoing dialogue with with a lot of regular players, and so I can just shoot an offer over with a message and start a dialogue that way. Otherwise, I'm not opposed to just sending a, a blank note, but I usually like to put in an offer that could reasonably be accepted. I just have way too many leagues to just start a chat dialogue and go back and forth endlessly with it. I'll take a little bit more time. You know, it's definitely in the 1250s and up 2.5s and the 5k going to spend more time being more thoughtful with those messages. Um, it makes sense. You know, it's more important. There's more money on the line. And so I'll, I'll be a little bit more thorough there. But otherwise, you know, usually I'm trying to put an offer out there that could be accepted. Um, not just a dummy offer. Yeah, there's, there's a I think it's a,
0: it's almost counterproductive when people send horrible offers. It, it makes you not want to deal with these people.
1: Yeah, I I, that is kind of a, I don't know if you want to call it a blind spot, but Maybe a little bit of a weakness on my part, and I've tried to improve on it, um, especially with certain players, because I, I just know, you know, when you deal with certain people enough, you know that there are some guys that are going to come in with offers that are way slanted one way, and they have a history of doing that and, and then negotiating back to a reasonable middle ground, but they're just never going to come with that. And, um, you know, there's some,
0: there's some characters out there in the, in the high stakes (laughs) dynasty streets. I I can attest to that. Some, some truly, some true trade maniacs and, you know, shout out a hat tip to Austin. You're able to kind of deal with, deal with whoever and get a trade done and respect you on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it is, it is definitely a little bit of a turnoff when, when someone comes in with something that's just, just so far gone that, you know, it's just not really counterworthy. worthy. Um, you just kind of get up and walk away from the table. So try not to do that um, because I have had some success working back to deals that you wouldn't think would be possible based on the initial offer. Um, but, you know, trying to be patient with that um, is, is a good idea. And then how do you,
0: and you bring up um, your, your, Higher, higher number leagues. You like the higher stakes of the higher stakes. Uh, how do you balance your large portfolio of teams? I know we touched on that a little bit, um, but this time of year, are you prioritizing? You know the the higher stakes teams. You're prioritizing the contenders. Have you, you know, reshifted? Um, you know your portfolio in terms of teams you're paying attention to or not at this point, or that you're all just gung ho.
1: As a matter of Pro, like weekly process I start and end with the higher dollar teams um so the confined leagues the 5k confined leagues the 3ks in dynasty the 5k and 2.5s so I'll start and answer my first fab bids on those teams and I'll finish with those teams to clean them up so that's kind of how I go about it in that regard um at this point in the year you know for redraft a few teams are starting to fall by the wayside. I'll start to move those down the list and I'll get to those last. I haven't totally written off any teams yet. I probably should, you know, but there there are a couple that I'm still doing the due diligence because I've seen teams make up a hundred points in a week, you know, and, and so I hate to write those teams off when it doesn't take that much extra effort to maintain them. Um, but that, that's kind of how I go about it. Um, and I'll try and reorganize, like once we get into like week six, seven, eight, I'll, I'll start to reorganize my redraft teams by, by standing, you know, and try and give a little bit of extra attention to the the top teams. You just, that's just not where you want to make a mistake. If you're going to make one. No, for sure. I mean, you're leaving a ton of money on the table. If you do that redraft
0: question, um, from ruckus. He has Chubb, Pacheco, Jalen Warren, Keontae Ingram, and then he wrote Warren twice. Would you trade Kirk – I guess this is Christian Kirk for Rashad White or, or Tony Pollard straight up. He has a lot of wide receivers. Um, no. I think that that's a fine trade if you're deep at wide receiver. I think to me, Kirk, I think you have to treat him as a top you know, 18 wide receiver moving forward. Um, yeah. So I don't mind that because I think your your RB two is is definitely a little light. Uh, would Would you agree on that, Austin?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the value isn't really quite there for the trade, but I guess it depends what stacked at wide receiver is. If Kirk is your wide receiver five or wide receiver four. Um, I think it makes some sense. Um, you know, we're gonna see Pollard go back into more of a complimentary role as much as we hate it. It's awful, it's horrible. It's, it is it's terrible and gross, but it that's it's just what's gonna happen. Maybe you know, I'm gonna have to use him in a couple spots. He can always break one off. Um, but you know, hoping for a 30-pointer is just not probably in the cards. But we I think we
0: could take a glass half full. Um, optimistic approach and think that maybe he's more of a 15 point per game guy than a 10 point per game guy based on That's- his strong play. But it'll be absolutely horrible if it's you know Thanksgiving. We've got to see you know Zeke Elliott diving into line and getting two and a half yards a bunch of times, and then Pollard breaks off an eight yarder and then goes right back to the bench. But that could absolutely happen.
1: You know, even Rashad White. Um, you know, Lenny isn't totally going away just yet either. So I think those situations are. Pretty similar. Um, I I wonder if you can aim just a little bit higher uh, if you're giving up Kirk. I mean, he's been really good. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Um. Wh- how about
0: Fab? You know, right now, would you say for most of your teams, are are you sitting on very short stacks of Fab? Do you like waiting and spending your spending your Fab late?
1: Yeah, I'm. I've. I'm down to like a hundred. $100 or right around there on like the 5K teams and 3Ks. I think I'm between like $50 and $100. So I'm definitely getting down there. I've got a few dynasty teams that are a little bit better off where haven't been forced to spend it. And I've got a couple hundred bucks, but I don't think I have a team out there that has probably over 50% uh, out of 100 teams. Um, so I'm I'm using it. I know everyone does it differently, and some people really like to have the hammer at the end. Um, and it's played out in certain scenarios where, where that guy, you know, comes along in, in week 15, you know 14, you know, before, before fab locks or players lock. But I, I generally do like to spend early and get players that can help me for a longer period of time
0: when when you are doing fab across you you're doing redraft and you're doing dynasty fab do you try to do them i know it's it's kind of it's hard to to do everything perfectly cuz life happens but are you trying to allocate a time to do your fab for your dynasty teams and a time to do a fab for your redraft team separately or does it all just kind of get jammed together
1: I do the, I do all the redraft first um, across all the sites. So I'll do all the redraft on FFPC NFFC, and FFWC. And then I'll go to dynasty. You know, the dynasty teams are just in generally better shape. They aren't needing as much.
0: You've fix- bench assets. You don't want to cut in a, yeah. in a dynasty league, if you're doing it right.
1: Yeah. And, and you've got more, more stashes, you know, to your, to your point. I mean, that's different, different way of exactly what you're saying is you got players that, You might not hold in redraft that you're going to hold in dynasty so um i'm sure there's countless examples but um yeah so that's kind of in terms of process that's all how i'll handle it in terms of players and who i'm bidding on um it's very close to the same i will prioritize uh, players a little bit differently for dynasty but like replacement level running backs, for the most part, it's going to be pretty much the same in an FFPC dynasty as redraft. I kind of, um, I kind of look at FFPC, FFPC dynasty as a little bit of a hybrid dynasty, or like a super keeper league, if you will, um, with with the twenty man you rosters. It's, it's not like, you know, the 30 man, 35 man roster. It's not a purist dynasty. No, it's really not. I'm, I, I've got no, uh, qualms about that. You know, call it what you want. If you don't think it's real dynasty, you know, that's your prerogative. I think it's dynasty enough for me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's, uh, it's, it's, it's real dynasty enough for me. Um, I mean, I I, I think it's like a, a healthy medium, uh, certain people want to play the, you know, I have 35 man roster MFL team and I'm in a couple of those as well. I will say that the FFPC ones are, are more conducive to, to being able to come back and rebuild quickly, which, uh, makes it a little bit more of a challenge if you're, uh, if you're a top notch player to, to maintain a, uh, a high level team year in, year out. Um, so it's kind of to each his own. I think if if we gave you 30 roster spots I think you and Seth could could do some serious damage with that.
1: Yeah, retaining talent and kind of bogarting all the good players is certainly a lot easier when you have all those extra spots. Um but it, you know from a from a site perspective or a commissioner perspective, you know, it's really you you have a down bad team in a really deep league and it's it's really hard to come back. Um and find people to take on those types of teams. So, you know, it makes a lot of sense the way that, that FFPC does it. And even FFWC, the way they do it with 22, um, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And I really like the triflex format. Even though I haven't had quite as good of luck with it so far, I really like the depth of that by eliminating the kicker and defense. Give me, a, you know, those I extra. Love it. I love it as well. It's a,
0: I'm a yeah. huge fan of that format. I think it's great. I know yep. we're in a couple of triflexes against each other. Um, and, uh, it's, I think it's tremendous. I, I think that we both value the wide receiver position, especially in startups. And, uh, you yep. kind of lends itself to that. Um, yep. but I'm going to do a few more of those this off Yeah.
1: I really enjoy it.
0: Let's talk about some players. How do you handle when a player loses value? Um, are you more apt to kind of get out from under it? Are you more apt to try to try to acquire a guy you believe in the talent? And I'll just throw out three guys, DeAndre Swift, Debo Samuel, and Kyle Pitts.
1: Yeah. So um, so Debo is a guy that I somewhat famously was pretty into or at least not into fading early in the summer. And then I, r- I really cooled on him. I mean, we, we ended up drafting him on one redraft team and didn't add him on any dynasty startups other than that very first ffwc team and we did end up unloading him on that team he's just been a guy that's been really hard to trade um no one's no one's into and and this is before the season you know midsummer. even after the the, the trade rumors uh stopped he's just been really hard to unload and now it's I mean, it's not getting any easier with cmc in town so there's just there's it's just too crowded so the few spots that I have him, I'm holding him, and you know I would be into shopping pits on a contender, but I just haven't been able to find a deal that I'm comfortable with. So right now, pits and Swift are staying on my teams. I I believe in the talent long term uh, on both of those players. I'm really bullish uh, on Swift long term. Ah, the injuries, man, just yeah, it's it's bad. It's starting, you know. It's getting to, it's getting to the point where you 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 really don't kind of have a choice. You kind of have to hold him because um, I'm not going to give him away. I believe in the talent too much. Uh, I have enough conviction with with him that I'm not going to give him away. But if you know, looking at some rankings, you know, people have have Swift right next to Eckler and Dynasty, and like if you're a contender, like that's a no brainer. Um, but if you're not a contender, you know, I'm holding on to Swift there. So, kind of going down with the ship, but I'm trying to make um I'm trying to make adjustments and other plans, uh, and we'll talk about those later too.
0: Yeah, for sure. And Kyle Pitts, I know that you traded a few shares of uh during the summer. We discussed that. I wish I unloaded a few more. I still have a lot. Um, it's a guy that. You know, I still very much believe in the talent. I hate the situation. But w- when you sold him this summer, was it a more of a trying to not be so pot committed to a guy? Or was it
1: more you saw that he was maybe at the peak of his value? It was... Um... I'm not a, we weren't like, like way overexposed to pits. I think we were, you know, 20, 25%. I mean, that's, that's a good number for sure, but like not a point, not like the point where I'm like, okay, we got to, we got to back off here. Um, It was more looking at teams and, and being honest about the talent that was on the rosters, not having enough depth at running back and receiver. And so I made some moves that, Ended up looking really sharp, but I think they were viewed as fair deals at the time. You one, got,
0: that, if I recall, you had one that was like DeAndre Swift and Pat Fryermuth plus for Pitts.
1: It was it was those two, I believe. I think it was a two for one straight up there. It was Swift and Fryermuth for Pitts, and then we did one where we did um, Pitts and a and, like, um, a wide receiver three type for Brees, uh, Gabe Davis, and Kadarius Toney. You know, I mean, you're just – you're printing money. Yeah. Right? So – and those teams just – they again, they were just short at running back and receiver, and so I wasn't, like, necessarily trying to go out of my way to get rid of Kyle Pitts, but just trying to improve the teams. And both of those teams are – are definitely contenders and probably want to view them as like a top three roster going in. So feel pretty good about that.
0: Just as a general tight end to get off, off script general, we have Dan Williamson who is not afraid of dumpster diving the tight end position in FFPC. Are, do you find yourself gravitating towards elite tight ends in tight end premium? Or are you looking to, do you think maybe the tight end position gets a little overrated
1: um, by some players? We've had really good success over the years identifying those late round guys. Um, you know, the Darren Wallers of the world. I mean, the the list is endless. And every year, the guy, guys come out of nowhere. And so it might be a little bit of, arrogance to think that you can just punt and figure it out and this year it was really hard and I think we generally did figure it out you know you had the the Dulcich or the, the Dulcich of the world the the Cole Komets that got drafted and dropped um oh man that comet turnaround is is pretty sweet I yeah I I, I dropped a 5k share of Commit myself so you know full full transparency here I'll I'll take my losses too. But you know, I guess in hindsight, it's kind of a funny deal. I, I dropped Cole Komet for Christian Watson. So I, I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that that's uh I think that
1: but, that, that's gonna end up
0: being a, a, a win for you. Um but he, he looks fantastic, but you know, for the rest so of the I, season, that's a tough one.
1: Yeah, I think it it just comes down to portfolio management though. So we tried to open ourselves up to getting some Andrews shares, you know, we've got a couple Andrews teams mid-second when he fell a little bit. Um, but, like, just generally speaking, I do like to try and get value at the position and, and find those guys that uh, really come out of nowhere because every year it happens. I mean, and and then we restart a new year and, and people think that, you know, you have to have a top 10 option and, and there's going to be no one come out of nowhere, but it, it always happens.
0: Every year... You have a tight end that is undrafted and redrafted who finishes in the top twelve. It happens every single year. The Dalton Schultzes, uh, yep. they it, it just it just keeps happening. Um, we have kind of a uh, there are certain players in dynasty who are very meticulous and robotic. Once a guy hits a certain age, they're off their team. They're they're collecting and they're they're trading these assets. Most of the time, it's at the running back position. I think there's a little more wiggle room with age apex and wide receivers. Uh, We've seen a a great number of older backs past the age apex just smashing this season. Does your portfolio have a lot of, and you don't have to specify which guys, but are you holding a lot of Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb, Kamara, Cook,
1: and then Austin Eckler?
0: Are you holding a lot of these older backs at this point?
1: The only guy that we don't have exposure to is Derrick Henry. We we unloaded all those bags this summer. I you think,
0: made a lot of money with Derrick Henry over the years, though, right, Austin? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We're 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 to the good on Derrick Henry, so I feel pretty good about that. But he's trying to ram it down our throat again. Yep. Uh, but you know, even a, an overpay at the time, and we talked about this deal. We we gave up Derrick Henry and Leonard Fournette for ETN. I'd do that all day. I mean, that's hundred percent. And it, and it looked really expensive at the time, and um, and it felt that way. But yeah, that's that's a deal that you do all day. So we had a
0: ETN trade in our triflex. I, I traded you ETN right after I acquired DeAndre Swift. I felt all bold at running back. I traded you ETN for Drake London and Michael Carter, and I felt great. Like after like two weeks of the season, but that one I think is has tilted to your favor.
1: Yeah, a little bit. And then and then we got a sweetheart deal right before the season and that that we couldn't turn away um, ETN in a second for McCaffrey. And it was like, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I have a
0: lot of ETN, but I wish I had that, that ETN share back. And uh, I think that was a great job of you identifying him. Were you able to uh, accumulate more ETN when he had his slow start or was most of your ETN accumulation in the summer?
1: I think we we picked up one or two shares uh, that were discounted, but otherwise most of it was was during the season. Uh, it took a stab on him in that FFWC uh, league where our team just I mean we had just you want to talk about trades going wrong that looked just like we just murdered the other guy prior to the season. I mean I can't tell you how many messages I got for. Unloading uh Kenneth Walker and Chris Godwin for uh Cam Akers and Darnell Mooney. Like I was being accused of robbery and now I'm like I'm on this I'm on the corner. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) We're begging in that league on the corner, you know. Please, please give me one of those guys back.
1: So so that was the team where where we took a shot on ETN on the cheap, and you know that we're starting to we we really needed that (laughs) because I mean that was uh that's a trade that's really hard to come back from. When you look at how bad that is, I mean, that's yeah. that's really bad. <laughs> it's it's it's
0: very bad. It's it's the uh the I had a um I had one trade where I traded the 201 to to our boy G dub uh to Noah and uh in a in a 750 and I felt so so smart trading that 201 for Darnell Mooney. I wish I could get that 201 back. Um <laughs> I could be sitting on a Rashad White or something along those lines, but you know, that, yeah. what are you going to do? Do you think yeah. that we should be looking at the age APEX differently based on the success of these older backs? I, I think Matt Kelly um, on Player Profiler had a very sharp take on this where the older backs seem to be able to handle durability a little bit better. You don't see these guys. Guys who have played full seasons seem to maybe have that in them where they're they're able to sustain a little more. Should we be looking at the traditional age, Apex ages? Um, is that something you think we should still be adhering to, or is that kind of an evolving thing?
1: You know, I hadn't really thought about that that much, but you know, that now that you bring it up, I, I, it has me thinking for sure. Um, like I said, we unloaded all the, all the Derrick Henry, and that's just an accumulation of so many touches, the injuries that, you know, the foot injury. And,
0: and I'll, not to interrupt you, but I feel like he's like, he he's like you can't even put him out there with normal humans yeah he's older like like we talk about AJ Pex. the guy's going to be 30 and he's still going to be relevant
1: yeah so you know i don't know this this upcoming offseason is going to be really interesting because it's going to be the most loaded running back free agency probably in the last five to ten years and then you have a, a theoretically a really strong rookie class coming in so I think the supply of viable running backs is going to be there so I don't know I mean I think you could sell I think you could sell these guys for picks if you if you wanted to get them off your team and then and then you know come back in later I know Scott uh, Connor talks a lot about that or he did last last summer and certainly a very viable strategy Um, I, I think it's interesting though to think about for sure
0: yeah, it's something that we'll have to go go into in the offseason. Um, and like the thing that blew my mind was we had Chris Vaccaro on the other night with Abeeb And we just talked a little bit about, you know, next year's redraft and just about how high high Nick Chubb could go in redraft. And you think about he's a guy that you could have maybe gotten for a random first round pick last year, maybe a little bit more on top. Uh, And I think he's going to gain so much value and redraft a year older based on that offense. It just kind of got me thinking that's more of an offseason type uh, question. Um, Last season, we saw ETN. He was lost for the year. uh, And now we've seen him regain so much value. Will we see similar value spikes for Brees Hall and Javante Williams? How how do you treat these young elite asset running backs um, when they sustain an injury that ends their season?
1: Yeah, um, I mean it's definitely a nuanced conversation, and I'm not uh, a medical professional, but it it sure seems like Javante's injury was, you know, more complicated, um, a little bit more serious. So I, I I wouldn't be expecting a lot from him next year. I'm curious to see how those ADPs settle in. I'm definitely more interested in Brees, and you know I would be looking to to buy either of those guys, I guess, on a rebuild, but. I would definitely lean into Brees. I've seen some people that view them as being very similar. Um, I had, had some offers that were, you know, kind of multiple offers, one, including Brees, one, including Javante. And there might be a little bit of, um, gamesmanship there kind of like, you know, tricking you into thinking that, that you're getting the same value (laughs) and really they're okay. They're okay. Kind of taking either, either one of those, but, yeah, I'm. I'm more interested in Brees. You know, I think that offensive line is very good. I think. Uh, I think the Jets uh, have have you know some real positive momentum going over there. A little bit nervous about what's going on in Denver. They're not getting out from Russ anytime soon. It's a mess. It really is. I mean, what what a devastating. Speaking of devastating trades, um, yeah. I, but I think those guys, those the the value should come back. But then you look at at some of these guys the dobbins and acres of the world and it has to give you some pause
0: yeah i think it's interesting because if you look at if you look at actual you know production in terms of fantasy dobbins and acres Ak- yes they they were they busted this season but in terms of regaining dynasty value those guys each commanded i know i moved dobbins for like a 106 plus Cam Akers, you could get a twenty, a, you know, pretty high draft pick last year. You weren't getting two firsts for those guys, but you were still b- being able to accumulate the first. So, I think Javante is interesting because I think right now he might be worth less than you could get for him in in you know a July in July because I, I think, think he'll so. gain so much in redraft.
1: I agree with that, that thought process. I think, you know, it's probably not a great idea to unload him right now. If you're not a contender for sure, you just got to kind of sit on him. How about
0: a guy like Cooper cup? Um, you know, I know that Cooper cups kind of a difficult one where he's been incredibly productive. He was productive last season this year. He's averaging 22 points per game. I think, you know, unless you're uh Unless you're an incredibly optimistic person, I, I think most would agree he's done for the year. And if he does come back, maybe it's for a game or so. He's twenty nine years old. He's turning thirty in June. How would you view Cooper Cup? Is this a guy that you would consider adding on your teams, or is he just a little too old and now in, now getting a tightrope surgery?
1: I mean, I think i was I think I was probably wrong to fade him. Um, this you year. got
0: two firsts. In, I know. Remember, you got two firsts in a league for him. So yeah, we well, ended up with a with a Jameson or in that that range plus. Yeah,
1: yeah. we we ended up doing okay on that. Um, yeah, we got. We, I think we ended up with with uh, I forget that particular league, but yeah, we ended up with two firsts for him, and that was the middle of the summer. We took a lot of heat for that deal too. Um, we have him on one. Twitter dynasty. hated that deal. Was that Twitter hated that deal? But yeah. most people understood that deal. Twitter hated that deal. What's gonna happen with McVay though? Is he? He might be done. He, I if mean, I was
0: McVay, I would get out of
1: town. I'd go into the booth one season and then well, I'd go back to my pick. He's gonna. He's going to take a little soft retirement and and wait for the smoke to clear and then. He's going to find a better situation and and find his passion for football again. Um, and they
0: will become absolutely abysmal
1: with no picks. Oh, they're – yeah. It's uh, – they're in trouble. So, yeah, it's the Bruce Arians trick. So, you know, he's just 20 years younger or 30.
0: Maybe, maybe 40 if you put him side by side. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor bounced back um, in a real big way this past season – how much Taylor are you sitting on Um, and kind of your thoughts on him moving forward for, we can yeah. stick with this season as well. Maybe your thoughts on him rest of the season.
1: Well, you get a guy like that playing every snap um with a coach that wants to run the ball and now a competent quarterback and you have all the stars aligning and JT is right back where he, where he was. Um, I mean, I, I shared with you that we did unload, We've got a pretty pretty good chunk of JT in Dynasty. We faded him in redraft for McCaffrey and Jefferson, um, but we still have a good good chunk in Dynasty. We did trade one share for ETN in a second, which, you know, it's still okay. It's not like we don't feel like we got one over on a guy. It might have taken a small loss at this point on it, but I think that's, that's about right. I mean, I'm really bullish the rest of the way. I don't. You, you, I think you have to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if he's not leaving the
0: field on on, on passing downs, um, like you said, I yeah. mean, it was the first game he's played without Hines, and the usage went went insane. So,
1: yeah. So I think I think that that projects forward favorably and take it right into next year.
0: So wanted to um go over some of your recent trades. We're we're, we're almost at the hour mark here. We have the trade deadline coming up, um, so I, you know, we're, we're still a little bit of a slight like like Omerta with Austin, um, where I can't just be like, give me your give me your buys and your sells, but let's talk about what you've actually done. One league you were rebuilding, you sent Foster Moreau and a fourth rounder to get a second rounder. Maybe quick, explain your thought process with that. This is tight end premium, everyone. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was tight end premium, Triflex, I believe. Um, so, you know, that was a team where we had a, a few viable tight ends. Not really sure what's, what what the plan is long term. I don't know if Waller is is for long in, in Vegas or not. Uh, so maybe Moreau gets a little bit of a bump there in the future. But, you know, there's nothing certain there. That's just, you know, that's just speculation. So a second round pick in Triflex with a loaded upcoming class. I mean, I'll make that deal all day long.
0: Yeah, and I, and I like Moreau about as much as anybody, but I think that he's a very – he's like a pretty ordinary player. I don't think it's going to be difficult for you to recoup a, a Moreau-level tight end, even if he's in every snap tight end for the Raiders next year.
1: Yeah, he's, he's just a serv- – he's a serviceable, startable guy, um, you know, that the team likes enough, but he's not like a true difference maker. I don't think he has that type of athletic profile.
0: Well, one tight end we really like. You went out and got in a, on a contending team. You sent Gabe Davis and a third rounder, and you picked up Pat Fryermuth. That's yeah, a, I love that trade.
1: Yeah, we we got uh, Fryermuth on a couple different teams this week. We you'll get to the other trade. It was a somewhat of a similar trade where we unloaded a couple seconds for him. Um, yeah, I think with, with Claypool out of the mix, uh, you know, Tomlin said it, uh, offense, offense isn't going to change much. Fryer will pick up a lot of those, you know, inside under the middle, you know, over, over the middle, kind of underneath routes. And that, that held up this last week. I think he led the team in targets with seven or eight targets, you know,
0: target share was, it was like a 29% target share. It was wild.
1: Yeah. So and, and we've we've loved this guy coming out. I mean, if, and if, if it weren't for Pitts, I mean, he would have he would have been steamed way up. Um, he was just kind of a little bit of an afterthought with you know the generational Kyle Pitts. So
0: yeah, he's the number he would have been the first tight end off the board in I'd say four out of every five draft classes. I mean, I think that Hawkinson, um, you know in that Hawkinson and Fant class, he probably could have been behind those guys, but not by much.
1: Yeah. Um, but pits
0: yep. made you're right. I mean, it was like a perfect storm for, for fryermuth
1: Yep. Yep. Like him a lot. So I think those are nice deals.
0: Okay, so th- I'm not JD, so I don't have visuals on the on the board for the people watching. So I'm gonna slow down for this one. This is a tri-flex format where you start three wide receivers and two flexes. You sent Deontay Johnson, a 2023 20, first with a bunch of Question like you know, wide receiver their wide receiver's du jour. You said uh a Russell Gage would be the most higher profile name of the three. Yeah, and you you got a haul, an absolute haul. DeAndre Hopkins, Chris Godwin, Miles Sanders, Jamal Williams. This was a theft of a trade.
1: Yeah, so that so we have Swift on that team. We have Hollywood Brown on that team. It's a team that is, you know it's gonna be a playoff team. Got got some nice players, got good quarterbacks, triflex. So it was, you know, just pushing those chips in. We're gonna go compete. And uh, you know, I think we did did well enough there with that trade. Um Yeah, you did you did pretty
0: well with that trade. Uh that I feel like that was you could have stopped with yeah, if that trade alone for you could have had like no Miles Sanders there and justified it, getting those two wide receivers and Jamal Williams for that trade.
1: Yeah. I think we, yeah, I think we probably got an extra player there. Um, so that was nice. You know, and that's, I think that that, that goes back to the uh, early point of, you know, identifying teams that are uh, employing a different strategy from you. If you're, if you're going for it, you want to be trading with a rebuilder and um you're going to get some extra value sometimes that way i mean look at all look at all of those players that you can you can definitely look at all those players and say you know their their situation isn't going to improve next year right you know godwin is not going to have tom brady um miles sanders who knows hopkins is getting older jamal is going to hit free agency who knows so there's questions so you could see why someone would do that but I agree. I wouldn't have done the deal if we didn't feel like we got the good end of it. And
0: I also feel like it's we don't have it all figured out. Like the NFL is not a, a it's it's not like a like a perfect thing. So we we like to project change, uh, and we all, usually change is perceived as a bad thing. But things things in the NFL have a way of kind of working themselves out. I just think back to a guy like Tyler Lockett how he was free this year. Uh, And people just assume a year older, the production goes away. Like a guy as talented as Chris Godwin, he could be a top 12 wide receiver next year. DeAndre Hopkins is not disappearing. I think like DeAndre Hopkins might not be a wide receiver one, but I think you might be sitting on two wide receiver twos with that deal. And you bring up Miles Sanders, like there's a chance he lands pretty well and he's maybe used more as a, as a receiver. So I think that that trade might really pay off when you look at it a year from now. Deontay Johnson's a guy that we've talked to each other about. We both like the talent, but he might never be more valuable than maybe he was last off season. Cause I think the fact that Pickens is there and you bring up Friermuth, maybe share your thoughts on Deontay.
1: Yeah, I I've been a fan. Um, and I, you know, you want to think that just about anything is an upgrade from Ben. Uh, he's just, he's not quite seeing the same type of volume that he was. And, you know, a lot, a lot of those, the the running narrative was that Ben's arm strength limitations is what led to Deontay's volume. And that seems to be playing out, uh, unfortunately. So, you know, you know how much I love George Pickens. So, something has to give um and claypool leaving helps certainly but you know pittsburgh man they know receivers they're gonna right. reload so if you think they aren't taking another receiver in this upcoming draft you got another thing coming yeah i'm, I'm ready for
0: the calvin austin hive hive to uh to come out this <laughs> summer on twitter and get us all hyped about him in the, the wide receiver three role um you had another contender trade. You sent Isaiah Likely in a 2023 20, second and you got Aaron Jones. I think that's exactly the kind of you maximized Isaiah Likely, uh who's still a backup tight end in Baltimore. Um you know, a good one, but he's still the number 2 tight end there. And he he was not a not a day 2 pick. Uh and you ended up getting Aaron Jones, who I'm guessing you're chasing the money with that team.
1: Yeah, so that that was just such a perfect trade for that team because we have five really nice receivers and we have McCaffrey and Delvin Cook and nothing behind them. So it was just like that was just like the perfect storm and perfect trade for that team. And again, dealing with a team that's rebuilding doesn't want to take Aaron Jones into the offseason. So the stars kind of align there uh, on that one, too. Now that was a great one. And then one trade that I
0: made today and I consulted with you earlier today, I have a team, it's a four and six team. It's been an unfortunate team, a couple of injuries, but somewhere in the middle, I'm not going to end up with the number one pick, um, but I'm probably on the outside looking in for the playoffs, even if I win this week. I traded Damian Pierce for Rashad White and a, and a third rounder. It's my opinion that Rashad White's going to be a higher pick in redraft than Pierce next year. I think that's, we're headed in that direction. What were your thoughts? We, you, you preferred the white side, maybe kind of share, share your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. I, I, I'm just a bigger, you know, bigger believer in the overall talent. Um, a little bit better draft pedigree, right? Um, white went, uh, a few picks ahead of, ahead of Pierce in the draft.
0: White was a third rounder though. And the fourth rounder, I know like, if we put them next to each other, they they were very close. Pearson early fourth.
1: It's very close. To me, when I look at the two players, i I prefer White's talent. He just pops off the page a little bit a little bit more to me. Um I think he's a little bit more versatile as re- as a receiver. Uh, you know the one the one thing I guess you can look and say, you know, Houston probably has a new franchise QB coming in. So, you know, that does give a little bit of a little bit of pause, but it's very close. Um, I prefer White slightly, but I get it. Uh, you know, I, I think I can, it's, a,
0: it's a it's a kind of trade where both sides feel good about it. The The person yeah. who got gets Pierce, they're going for the money and they get somebody who would. I don't think it's out of the question that a week from now, Rashad White outscores Damian Pierce. Every every week moving forward, um, it takes a little bit of a step back for Lenny, but it's more likely than not. I would say Pierce scores more points the rest of the season, so he's happy. I'm happy. Uh, it seemed like a pretty even trade. We are we are only if <laughs> we we're we're, we're we're not even done with the season yet, but we're already thinking about dynasty startups. I thought it would be a fun way to end the show here. Let's give our predictions for the top six players. In an FFPC dynasty startup, uh, if it started tomorrow, we could go one one up to six, one to six, or we can go six down through one. Austin, what do you want to do here?
1: You know, I was I saw this on the show sheet, and I'm man, it's it's very interesting. Um, it's
0: the first two to me are kind of easy. Do you? We, we can get this out of the way. I'll give you gonna, my top two.
1: I was going to offer you the first pick.
0: Okay, I'll uh, go. To, I'll go first pick here. I'm going to go. Dynasty startup it's quite easy for me. It's Justin Jefferson is my dynasty 101 if I'm starting up in an FFPC dynasty. Would you agree yep. with the
1: 101? Yep, 100%. No no doubt about it. Um I mean, you can you can definitely make a case for Chase and that would that is in my opinion the no doubt 102. And and then I think it really gets interesting. Um so 3,
0: I feel like this you're right. It's it's super interesting. And I think if you talk to a lot of people maybe we can't walk into a top six, Austin. We should just talk a couple of names here. Cause I'll say that there's a couple people that, you know, we play leagues with that would still take Jonathan Taylor at the one Oh three.
1: I, and I, I made a little, a short list here and I've got like tears here. Cause it's like, I kind of feel like the third pick through like 10 or even the end of the first is like wide open.
0: I agree um, completely.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think I think there's a lot of ways to go. Do you want to make a pick or do you do you want how do you want to do this?
0: No, so I'll I'll make a pick. I think that there is a chance that the number 3 pick still might be CD Lamb, which is kind of a out of left field, but I was really impressed with with what happened last week, and I think that if he ends the season like we thought he could start the season, he's I would say CD Lamb ahead of and I'll just say another guy that with the wide receiver with the pedigree was Jalen Waddle. Um, I think that CD just has a cleaner pedigree, and he's also got no Tyree Kill next to him. So yeah. I think like the wide receiver position has been so popular in startups that I'll throw CD Lamb's name in there. And some yeah. people might say that that's ten spots too early for him. I just yeah. think yeah, yeah. I think he's he's got that profile people want to believe in. And I think that he's maybe taking that that step forward after the 150 yard game.
1: Yeah, I think I think you can go CD Lamb. I think Waddle and I think AJ Brown are all interchangeable. Um, you know, I look at it and I it and it seems again the name you know Waddle at three like what? But man, Mikey McDaniel's with what he's doing down there with Tua. I mean, I'm bought in. So yeah, he's
0: 24. He'll be 24 years old.
1: So wow. yeah, I mean, it's, so it's very interesting. I think what it really is going to come down to is, is, you know, what kind of player are you? Are you, are you, are you going running back early or receiver? And that's going to be, you know, the way that, the way that this is going to play out, I would like to trade back. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I don't think it's a but, bad, that's, but that's, that's a bad be what thinking that's, that's not only been a common strategy, but one that's really picked up a lot of steam in the last few years, everyone wants to trade back. So Trading
0: back becomes, you know, in some of these, I feel like it's, you don't know until you're in the startup, but in some startups, it's almost impossible to trade back. And in some, it's very easy to trade back. It's kind of what you're, how people want to start their team. I'll throw out two other running backs. Would you agree that Travis Etienne and Kenneth Walker will both be first round dynasty startup picks this, this uh, coming startup season?
1: Yeah, I think they both will. And I think Bijan will find his way towards the top half of the first as well. 100%. Uh, I
0: mean, I think there's a scenario where Bijan Robinson goes as the RB1 overall. Like, if we love the landing spot, why wouldn't you?
1: Well, if you love the landing spot, I think think it almost becomes a no-brainer, which seems crazy, a little bit crazy. But got to kind of see how things shake up. You know, how, how do things shape up in Indy? Um, who's the quarterback? Who's the coach? You know, do they bring in a complimentary running back, you know, to, to take some load off of Taylor? Otherwise, you know, Taylor's the safest, uh, at the top, you know, as far as running backs go. So, you know, gun to my head today, I'd probably take Taylor. Um, but it's, it's tough. I mean, those guys are all appealing.
0: Now, there's one player where I've been more optimistic on him in dynasty startups and also redraft valuation than some of the other guests on the GOAT district. Um, Brees Hall, who I still yeah. think there's a chance that he's a first round pick in redraft next year. Yeah. I had uh, when we had Abib and Chris on this week, those guys viewed him a little bit more as a second round redraft pick just based on the injury risk. He's the guy where if we had you on six weeks ago. Or eight weeks ago, we could have been saying Brees Hall is the 101 up there with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. How would you view Brees right now and where do you think he ends up?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, going back two weeks ago, you know, it's a totally different conversation. But And I didn't intentionally mean to leave him off of that list of, you know, including Kenny Walker and ETN. I I think he's right there in that mix. You know, as it stands today, I can't trade ETN for Brees. I need the player. Um, I need the player that can help me now and that I know is going to be there for me week one. But, you know, fast forward to the start of next season and things are looking good. Brees is progressing. I mean, he's got to be right there. Uh, does he creep back into the first round and redraft? I would say probably not. Um but I I don't think he'll slip much further. I think he'll he'll definitely be locked into the second.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting, in a very very interesting uh, dynasty startup. Um, that the first dynasty startup will be wild. That kind of sets the ADP a little bit. I mean, guys, we didn't even talk talk about T. Higgins, Amon Ross, Saint Brown, uh, whoever we view as the 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 number two pick in rookie drafts. I
1: mean, and Saquon cmc i mean these guys like cmc will
0: be super interesting and so yeah. will Saquon. one i think you're you're dead on with those and i'll throw out another guy tyree kill if he finishes as the wide receiver one overall he's showing no signs of slowing down and he's still a little bit younger um you know you could talk yourself into a 29 year old tyree kill having one more enormous Diggs, season
1: digs too i mean yeah. so you know, there's not enough picks in the first round for all these guys. Is really what it comes down to, and you can definitely make a case for all of them. So um, startups are going to be fun. It's awesome. Which which game
0: are you most excited to see on Thanksgiving? It's is it your hometown uh, team or is it something else? You know, it's gotta be right. Gotta be. It's gotta are, be. are you going to put a number on Bill Belichick or is that going to be a a you know frustrating game?
1: Seems a little bit trappy.
0: It's 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 a it's a you can you can you know you could you can you can say it's okay you guys can 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 be a little bit slow out the gate after that amazing win against Buffalo. You give them a little benefit of the doubt there.
1: I gotta see what happens this week against Dallas first. What tell me why Dallas is favored by a point and a half coming to Minnesota. It's
0: it's a wild line. I think (laughs) that you naturally um I think that the the line should be pretty tight. I think Dallas is a tough game for them. Um but I, mean, I think it's, there's always
1: there's always they always
0: don't want to give away too much with Dallas. I feel like Dallas is like the public team.
1: I mean, coming off that that win in Buffalo, I mean, it's definitely that is definitely a trap spot for the Vikings. It is a game where the, where they would let down and that, you know, that should be expected. So I'm hoping hoping we can pull it out, but wouldn't be surprised if we give one up. Do your Vikings uh, make a Super Bowl this year? <laughs> on man they're gonna let you down (laughs) nfc championship game they'll let you down or been beaten down so badly it's just you know it's like i'm still i'm still having a hard time getting my head around the success that they're having because all these games they're one score games and they're finding a way to to win these coin flips and you just can't win every coin flip like that so the Hawkinson trade was big. I think
0: the Hawkinson big. trade has, has helped the offense.
1: This is a different team though, with a whole different energy with with uh, Kevin O'Connell. So, yeah, I mean, they're gonna be fun to watch. Uh, I'm not about to predict them to to be a Super Bowl team, but it would be fun. but it'll be a fun ride. I think that they're right there. Um,
0: I think it's it's them in Philadelphia and San Francisco for me. I think one of them gets through. and I'm not quite sure which one does. so, I'm pulling for you and, and Dan Williamson. I know it's a frustrating franchise. so. But we we hit an hour 15. Austin, really appreciate your time. Let everybody know where they can find you.
1: Uh, yeah, just look me up on Twitter at AustinRMartin84. Uh, that's where you'll find me. Not not pumping out any content, but uh, I'll share a few takes here and there if, if you want to look me up.
0: 100%. Well, appreciate your time, Austin. This was a lot of fun, and uh, everybody have a great weekend. We're going to be back next week with Scott Connor on Wednesday night. Uh, if you enjoyed our conversation with Austin, we're going to hit some of the similar uh, topics. Scott is is a tremendous dynasty mind, uh, and we're fortunate to be able to, to chop it up with Austin and, and Scott in such a short period of time. Uh, everybody have a great night. Austin, thanks again, buddy,
2: and uh, we'll talk soon. Yep, thanks, Theo.